You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me here today. Ian Hoffman has come on my radar a few years ago when I was listening to another podcast for growth-minded law firm owners. I believe it was the law entrepreneur. Yeah, that was a few years ago. And I've been following your content here and there since then. And here's the reason why I really wanted to get you on this podcast. We work with a ton of lawyers, and I get to talk to one-on-one and off the stage with many more lawyers every single year. And there is one word that most lawyers are deathly afraid of, and that is selling. They want to avoid it as plague. Yet, as professional service providers, just about every single one of them, unless they work for a government agency, every single one of them are engaged in sales. So it's quite a conundrum. I read your book, Same Side Selling, and there are a couple of chapters that popped out at me and said, I got to ask Ian questions about this specific topics because they can greatly benefit lawyers in the sense that you already do all the selling work without knowing it. You probably don't love it. You will continue doing this as long as you practice law. You might as well get better results out of it. So Absolutely. No, it's, it, you, you, you hit the nail on the head and, and I, I love the, the intro and the, and the, and the back and the background on this. It, it's fascinating because when I talk to lawyers, they'll say, Oh well, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna meet with our firm, if you're gonna work with us, like we never use the term sales. I said, okay, why not? Well, because we don't sell anything. All right. Well, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who isn't a client, and then after you have a conversation, they become a client. You do work for them, you bill them, and money changes hands. They go, oh, absolutely. I said, okay. Then you sold something. You just don't know it. And part of the mindset is the notion of when you meet with someone who could be a client of yours. You can show up in only one of two ways. You can either show up as someone who is there to sell something, or you can show up as someone who is there to solve something. And so a lot of what we try to do with all professional services, law just being one example, is that mindset that says, I'm showing up to solve, not sell, because top professionals, regardless of whether they're, they're lawyers or accountants or consultants, doesn't matter. The top ones don't want to be seen as selling anything, but they're really good at solving problems for people that they couldn't solve for themselves. Loved it. So you're not there to sell, you're there to solve a problem. By the way, years ago, I used to hang out with a group of oncologists. Guess who went for sales training? They just didn't call it that. Yeah. But when a patient is facing a serious health problem, they need to sell them on the solution. Not to make the money, but extend the lifetime of that patient. Yeah. And that's what it takes. Having some sales skills. Well, and the, the interesting thing about this, Sasha, is that if you think about the way law firms grow, the key is that you could be the best tactician. You could have the best skills. But generally, the people who rise to the highest level in the firm are not the people who are necessarily the best technicians when it comes to the law. It's the people who can bring in the most business. 
And when they're developing associates, what they do is they say, okay, well, listen, if you really want to thrive in this firm, you need to learn how to bring in business. So I want you to follow so-and-so. I want you to follow Chris because Chris is amazing at bringing in business. And they, they reach out to that associate a month later. And next thing you know, the associate is trying to learn how to write left-handed and they're eating a full vegan diet. And you say, why are you doing that? Well, because Chris is left-handed and eats a vegan diet. And you're like, no, no, those aren't the things we wanted to pick up on. And the reality is that people go through professional training. They learn amazing skills. They know exactly the steps to follow if they want to be successful in a certain area of law or a certain type of practice. But virtually none of them have been trained on the specific process they should follow when they're trying to win new business. Are you trying to win business from an existing firm? So you're trying to displace that firm. That's a totally different approach than if you run into someone who might need your services, but isn't using anybody right now. And if you treat them both the same, you're gonna get very different results. And this is definitely applicable to corporate law attorneys. But I find that, that there are infinitely more attorneys who actually practice consumer law family law, criminal defense. I had an experience shopping for a legal professional earlier this year. And it was very revealing. In part, I decided to go out there and not hire one of our clients because I wanted to actually see how others operate to learn from them. Yep. And here's what it was. I spoke to, I reached out to five law firms. Two never called me back. One sent me an email and said, Paul again to set an appointment. Two, I had wonderful conversations with. One, had no idea how to solve my problem using very simple sales techniques. Yes. He lost my business. The other guy was wonderful. I'm sure he has gone through professional sales training. Not only did he ask me all the right questions and given me all the right information, answered all of my questions, but he also understood his market. He knew what his competitors charged. He knew how to charge me properly. He knew yep. how to set up the whole thing. The sec the first conversation that I had where the lady did not get my business took one hour. The second conversation took 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. So if they, if they understand the right process, if they understand the right questions to ask, keep in mind, it's the same thing. If, if, if someone's a litigator, they're, they're trained so that in 20 minutes on the stand, they can get what they need to from the witness. And the person who isn't well-trained could have that witness on the stand for 90 minutes and not get them to say what you need them to say. And it's the same thing. So what we're trying to do in, in a sales environment, and once again, I'm using the term sales intentionally because I know it makes people in law uncomfortable, but they kind of have to lean into it, which is yeah. if you want to get good at growing your firm, if you want to get good at attracting clients, then you need to understand how leaders make and approve decisions and then follow a process that's aligned with that. And that's that's a lot of what we teach. My co-author, Jack, um, Jack Quarles, who I wrote Same Side Selling with, Jack is a guy who spent two decades in purchasing and procurement. And the largest area that he helped people with was procuring professional services. And Jack and I would talk about how awful the industry is at that. And it's funny because if you talk to anyone in a law firm, you say, well, gee, so tell me about your firm. 
I always laugh because they'll almost always say, well, we're, we're a full service law firm. And I think to myself, that's great. If your competitors build themselves out as a partial service law firm, then maybe that'll be attractive. Otherwise, the notion of full service law firm means nothing to anybody. It's like, well, what do you do? You also pick up dry cleaning? Is that what like, what do you mean by that? And it's it's the notion of getting really good at describing the types of clients that you're best at serving. Because the reality is the person who wants a huge multinational firm is probably not going to be attracted to a small regional firm. And the converse is also true. So the idea is that early in the conversation, you want to be able to ask the right questions and then quickly pivot to a discussion that says, look, our industry is kind of kind of you know, segmented into three different categories. There's this category, the second category, and this, this top category. Which level are you looking for? And then you get the client to say, oh, well, I'm looking for this top category. This is something we refer to in the training we do as the client vision pyramid. So if someone was interested in our legal services, I would say, well, generally when they're looking for help solving this type of matter, they're looking for a firm who can help them at one of three levels. See, the industry is kind of shaped like a pyramid at the base level is what we call effective. This is where you have someone that has some experience in this area, they can do the work on a billable basis, and it's all time materials effort based. The next level up, these are large firms where they do a lot of different stuff. They'll generally have a partner who specializes in that area, but you know, the, the firm does many other things and you have partners associated at many levels. At the highest level, this is where you've got a firm that specializes in your type of situation. They handle your type of business law. They know these scenarios and often can actually give you a fixed price um, bid on what it's gonna cost to try and solve that matter with a couple caveats. And that way you have no surprises, which level you're looking for. And now what I just did is I just broke the industry down in a way that the client probably hadn't thought about it. And now once they hear that, they think, oh, well, yeah, I want to be at that highest engaged level. Oh, well, good. That's why people generally come to us. And the beauty is now when they talk to another firm, the other firm starts describing what they do and says, oh, it'll be on an hourly basis. And like, oh, those guys are at the effective level. Oh, we have offices in 12 places. Oh, they're at the enhanced level. And it automatically allows the client to figure out where other people fall and helps you quickly figure out who cares about what you do uniquely compared to the rest of the industry. So this is something that professional problem solvers would recognize as a pattern interrupt. Instead of following through exact same script as all of your competitors do, whether you do corporate law or family law or criminal defense or personal injury, most people without knowing it follow the same script, the same motions, almost same words. And when asked questions, well, why should they choose you over everyone else? Yeah. The default answers are what? Oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have yeah. plenty of success stories. I'm really good. And then people buy based on price and comfort level. But in one of the titles of your book is titled, and this is what I really want to talk about is, when you think you're not unique. Yeah. Lawyers, because of their ethics rules, cannot really boast about how good they are. They can only feature their cases and how much, if it's personal injury, like how much money they want for their clients over the course of existence of their law firm. For specifically for attorneys, especially in B2C space, how would you help them establish their uniqueness? How would you help them answer that question? Why should a prospective client choose to retain their services 
versus everybody else in what usually is an incredibly crowded field. Yeah, well, Sasha, there, there, there are a couple concepts. The first is that you have to you have to identify your firm's identity, for lack of a better term. So you have to define your term, your firm's identity, meaning what makes us different. Do we focus on a specific industry, certain types of cases? Where, where, who are the people you can help the most? Because the reality is that if you take on cases and clients that aren't a great fit for you, those are the ones who you wish weren't your clients. Like at the time, you're thinking, I want the revenue. And then once you have them as a client, you're like, oh, how do I get rid of this client? They're an awful client. And everyone's got one. And every professional service, every professional services firm, they have clients who they wish were not their clients. And they've got those. So the first thing is do soul searching to identify those areas that you're best at solving. It might be that you do personal injury specifically in these types of accidents or these types of scenarios, or you handle corporate law for, let's say, government contractors or for, um, for, you know, for um, construction or for technology, whatever it happens to be. And the idea is to focus on specific niche areas and then you're asking people, well, how important is, is that? Now, the reason why it's important to focus on those target areas that where you can help people the most is because you start building a name for yourself and people say, oh, these are the best people at solving that. There's a, there's a client of mine who's in the technology space. They sell professional services and one of their markets is law firms. And I encourage them to write a book called The Modern Law Firm. And they've, and they've written it. Well, now, just about every other technology firm that on paper might appear to do the same thing as them doesn't stand a chance because if you're trying, if you're bringing in a technology firm because you want to modernize your law firm, well, I can go with these guys who talk a good game or I can, I can go to the guys who wrote the book about the modern law firm. Right? So it's like they create some differentiation. So the first part is identifying what it is that you do best. Once you do that, then what you have to do is a, find out if the person you're talking to cares about those things that you do best. And B, help them understand the difference between what you do and what other people do. See, this client vision pyramid I explained before, this idea of effective, enhanced, engaged, the industry is kind of shaped like a pyramid. That whole concept is something that allows us to define the market in a way that the client probably is, has never thought of before. So my clients use this this concept, this client vision pyramid, it's something that we, we review every single month in our Same Side Selling Academy. Our members constantly, every time we have this live coaching with all of our members, it comes up again. Because people are like, okay, can you review this again? We go over it time and time again, because the firms that get this right, what it tends to do is it compresses the timeline of people making decisions. So now all of a sudden the client says, okay, the way they describe the problems is the way I'm seeing those problems. And when they define what's available in the marketplace, I want that engaged level that these guys just described. So now what I've just done is I've just compressed that whole cycle because the client says they understand me, I'm looking for what they do, and now I understand the difference between them and the rest of the market. See, oftentimes services companies, what they will say is, well, I can't believe they picked this other firm because that other firm shouldn't even be in the mix. And I'll go, well, do they do the same thing as you? No, but the client doesn't understand the difference. Well, whose fault is that? If the client doesn't understand the difference, that's our fault as the law firm because we didn't help them understand the difference. So if we help them understand the difference, that's when deals happen faster. So 
in, in other sectors, I've got clients where their typical sales cycle would be over a year. They introduce this notion of this client vision pyramid, which admittedly takes a little bit of time to figure out the right messaging and come up with it. But once they come up with it, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, well, our average deal used to be like a quarter of a million dollars to took over a year. Now our average deal is over three quarters of a million dollars and our typical sales cycle is three months. Like, and it's, it's not magic. Oh, it's happens. just we're helping the client make faster decisions and better understand what it can do for them. And they're like, oh, well, I want more and I want it sooner. It's natural. Plus the title of the book is Same Site Selling, which to me means that you're on the same side as your prospective client and you're helping that client make that decision faster rather than slower. Because when the prospect takes longer to make that decision, they're not doing themselves a favor. It is your job as a professional service provider who, as part of their job, is selling, help them make that decision efficiently, effectively, in the shortest period of time. Correct. And, and what we often say is that effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. So the idea is that most, most concepts around sales either use a game metaphor, and in a game you have a winner and a loser, or it uses a battle metaphor, and in the battle metaphor, the loser dies. And then we wonder why these approaches tend to be adversarial. And instead, in same-side selling, we use a puzzle metaphor. And the idea is, look, I've got puzzle pieces. There are clients out there of puzzle pieces. If our pieces fit, we can put together a great, a great image, a great picture. But if our pieces don't fit, we can try and force it all day long, but it's not going to form a complete puzzle. So it's not about rejection at that point that, oh, this client didn't pick us. It's, look, they just weren't the right fit. And sometimes they're not the right fit today, but they will be later. And so for me, it's like, and I have clients who, you know, I started working with them and they were $2 million and now they're 75 million. But it took them a couple of years to realize, oh, you know what, we really need help in this area. And people say, well, what do you do when that happens? I'm like, well, you wait. And you just make sure that, you know, your business is growing to the point. I'm fortunate in that I grew some businesses to a large enough level that I'm never in a hurry. So for me, it's like, you know, if someone decides that they want my help a year from now or five years from now, you know, it's that's okay. And I realize for some people, it's like, no, no, I need to bring in a client this month because, gee, I've got a small firm. We're, we're starting out and I need the revenue. That's where you fall into the trap of now you take on a client who isn't the right client, but they were revenue. And then a month later, you're regretting taking on that client. So just don't. It's yeah. a big, it's a big mistake to begin with. It so, is, but it, but you understand that if you're a law firm that has a certain level of overhead and you don't have revenue coming in, any revenue starts to look like you know any port in the storm, and it's like okay, I, this this is going to help get me to the next month where I can be more strategic. It's also why, as a business, I tend to help organizations who are already doing well, and and want to really accelerate that growth. So. You know, there are case studies and podcast episodes um, where I featured clients of mine where, you know, they went from $100 million to $700 million or went from $17 million to $100 million. And like, how did we do that? Well, if they were really struggling financially, they couldn't make good strategic decisions. Once they've got things shored up, then you can start making better strategic decisions. So as someone who ran businesses for a long time, you know, I understand that notion of, 
okay, how am I making payroll next month? And then you start making decisions that in the long run may not be good decisions, but they're more like survival decisions. Yeah, and um, most small businesses and most law firms are small businesses. Yeah. Are always experiencing this challenge. And when I say always, overwhelming majority of small businesses, including law firms, are sub $1 million in gross revenue. It yeah. is hard to make very effective decisions when you're always between a rock and a hard place. And yeah. a lot of those law firm owners feel that way. So I want to go back to the idea that you have to be very efficient in your, let's not call it sales for a moment, spare the nerves, in your intake process. Sure. The better your intake process, the fewer leads you need to generate the same amount of revenue. Exactly. So learning the right intake process, sales for the rest of the world, learning how to do this efficiently is of utmost importance. I definitely recommend Same Site Selling book and follow Ian on social media. You share a lot of great nuggets for businesses large and small. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's interesting because in every other aspect of of law, people value continuing education and they value the notion of developing their skills. And when it comes to how do I grow the firm? How do I bring on clients? People say, oh, well, it just happens. Well, it doesn't just happen. And you look at any firm and you say, well, this person outperforms this other person five to one. Why is it? And they'll say, oh, well, because they have better contacts. And well, because at their club, they have other, and it's like, no, it's none of that. It's because either intentionally or or accidentally, they're asking the right questions. The single greatest reason why somebody picks one professional services firm over another is how well they feel that person understands their situation. And so you can tell them all about your firm, you can tell them everything else, but really it comes down to, are you asking the right questions? So the other person says, you know what? These guys get me. These guys totally understand what what problem I'm facing right now. And I feel comfortable that they have the right solution for me. Part of that comes down to something we teach called disarming. And the notion is, look, here's why other people come to us to solve these sorts of major problems. But the reality is not everyone who has that problem is the right fit for our firm. So I don't yet know that I can help you, but if that's something you're facing, I'm happy to learn more to see if we might be able to help. And what that does, it immediately disarms the notion that you're just there to sell something. And instead, you're showing up as someone who's there to solve something. Now you can have an honest dialogue. So the idea is that you want to be able to say, look, it, let me learn a little bit more about your situation, what you got going on. I may not be the right person. If I'm not, I'll happily refer you to somebody else. And it's interesting. A number of years ago for a, for a, um, a conference, an organizer called me up and said, hey, I, you know, I saw you speak at this event would love for you to keynote, be our opening keynote for this conference of you know, our top, sale, top sales women. And it was like, our 500 top sales women are gonna be at this conference, want you to speak. And I said, okay, you know what, I, I'm really flattered. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the 500 women would respond better to a woman speaking to them rather than a man speaking to them? And the organizer said, you know, we hadn't really huh. thought about that, but that's <laughs> a really good point. I said, look, I'm flattered, and if you've thought through this and you want me to be there, that's fine. Or I could recommend two or three women who I think are amazing who 
might better fit with the theme of your event. And so they ended up selecting one of the other people. And everyone said, well, why'd you do that? I said, because it wasn't in my best interest or their best interest to have, like, rest assured, I would have stepped on the stage and all these women would have said, why is this guy talking to us at the women's sales conference? Like, couldn't they find a woman? It's like, look, you just didn't, you just didn't know how to find a woman who was amazing at this. Let me help you find them. And then you're better off. And people said, well, so, but didn't that hurt you? I said, you know what? About six months later, the the director of this organization um, had had her assistant call up and said, hey, we now have this other conference where it's everybody, and are you available on this date? Right Now, I didn't know that was going to happen. It wasn't like I was saying this because I wanted the other bigger event. It was just more, you have to look out for your client's best interest. And it's like, if someone came to you to address, let's say, a labor issue, and your expertise in that labor issue on a scale from zero to 10 is a three, and you know the person who's an eight, say to them, look, I can help in this matter, but this other person I think is really amazing. And so, you know, I'm happy to make the introduction. I'm happy to be involved as much as you want, but I want to make sure you get the best help in this area. That client's going to come back to you time and time again, because you put their needs ahead of your own. And as soon as your client realizes that you're more interested in their outcome than you are in their, their dollars, all of a sudden you get this level of trust where they're like, okay, anything I need, I just come to these people. And in my prior business, we, we had, we were a technology company and people would call us up and say, look, here's this hardware we're looking at buying. Now we know you guys don't sell hardware, but we trust that your people are always going to give us the best advice, even if it's not in your best interest. So can you walk us through this? I mean, how do we pay you guys to help us with this? And it's like, they knew, they were like, okay, we know this isn't your expertise, but we trust you more than other people. And I think that's what we got to get to is a level where someone just says, look, you always want to call the, like, call, if you have this issue, you call Sasha. I don't care what your issues, you call him, he'll direct you to the right people. If you're a lawyer and people are calling you as the first call, every time a matter comes up, you're going to get a lot of business. Yes, it's such a powerful concept. I find it, and this is not applicable to every attorney out there, but I find that that attorneys in their, during their intake calls, those sales conversations, the goals are to get the business. If the prospect has a good fit by asking the right questions, sounding smart and showing that they care. What's often missing from there is exactly what you pointed at, which is that radical intellectual transparency that's very upfront that is often not there and it is like you said it's disarming so if your competitors don't do it and i bet eight out of ten lawyers do not if you know what are the potential downsides in that process whatever process that they're going to go through giving that information to them up front will be very disarming and will put you in a different category than your competitors because you did something that interrupted the pattern. Sure. Yeah, there's there's, there's an interesting process. So one of the things that I'm just absolutely obsessed with is the notion of, okay, what information do you need to and want to discover in your first conversation? And then based on that, that should determine whether or not it's worth your time to have a second conversation. And then what information do you need to achieve at that second step 
to help the client decide if you're a good fit or not, and for you to decide if they're a good client or not. And so there's a whole structure and a process that that we teach and that we emphasize in our in our same side selling academy, which is here are the steps we follow. So here's the process to follow at a networking event, for example. Someone says, Hey, so tell me about your firm. Well, you can either say, Oh, we have this many lawyers and this many offices and this blah, 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 blah that no one cares about. Or you can say, Well, Tell, tell me a little bit about your business so I can put in that context. So now you're hearing about their situation first. And now you can say, oh, well, when people in that type of industry come to us, they're usually looking for our help in one of three areas. Boom, boom, boom. Right. And now it's like you're talking about here's what we solve for people like you. Once I've done that and someone says, oh, I'd love to set up a time to meet with you. Great. So now how do you start that conversation? Well, people can talk about their firm, whatever, or you can say, so what inspired you to meet with us today? Oh, you mentioned this when we, when we met at this networking event, and that caught my attention. Really, why is that? And now you're asking about them. Well, because I have this issue, and the firm we deal with doesn't really do this well, and I thought you could. Oh, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And now you're asking all about them. And so you can get a sense of what's working for them, what isn't working for them. It's interesting. I, 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 um, in in Same Side Zone, we talk about focus and charge for the things where you add value and don't charge a premium for areas you don't. So my prior firm, we were, we, we, the value of the business was a couple billion dollars. And so we we're a good sized firm. We spent millions of dollars a year in legal fees. And so this large firm, and I was the managing director of the company, I said, I said look, you, you guys are, every time we send anything to you, anytime you, you guys produce anything, you're, you're creating eight sets of it. Where, where eight people in your firm aren't even involved in it, you're creating eight copies and you're charging us for it. And it's kind of a nuisance. And you know it's costing us tens of thousands of dollars a year that we just see as an annoyance. And it's, and it's not like you're recovering your costs because I can tell it's a profit center. This is, really, this is really problematic for us. We need to figure out a way to address it. So a few months later, we're seeing each bill is still you know eight copies of everything. Like, and, you know, it's just getting to be ridiculous. So I said, you know what? I just don't like this. So I was talking to someone in another firm. Great. We switched to them. And the and the the partner calls up and he goes, well, I mean, what happened? I mean, we were doing this and that. And I said, you know what? I, I mentioned this was a problem and you guys didn't do anything about it. And he goes, yeah, but I mean, you guys are spending, you know, close to a million dollars a month. And this was like $10,000 maybe at most in any given month. And I said, exactly. It's like, it's like if they had said, Hey, we're going to create fewer copies or here's why we need them, or we're going to charge our cost. It's fine. But it's like, look, I don't need to pay you a profit center of making copies. Like charge me an extra $10 an hour. And I wouldn't care. Charge me an extra $50 an hour. I probably wouldn't care, but it's just those nuisance things that what happens is someone says, no, no, this is my, and I can turn this into a profit center. Yes. But what's your client going to think? They roll its trust. Right? Yeah, it just it makes it so they're like, oh, so now it's like I remember I, I had we had a legal matter and the um and the, the partner says, oh, yeah, so so I went out and met with met with these guys and and I brought, you know, these two associates with me and then and I met with their attorney and they had two associates and the six of us went to lunch and I said, OK, what did you guys accomplish? Well, I just thought it was important for us to all get to know each other. And I said, OK, so let me see if I get this straight. You paid for it. I paid eight thousand dollars for for the six of you to have lunch. And it's like, well, I wouldn't think of it that way. I said, I know you're not thinking of it that way, but that's the way that I'm looking at it. Because 
you didn't accomplish anything. Now, if you told me, look, here's where this is going to give us an advantage in this case or this matter, maybe I'd be okay with it. But it was like, look, I can tell you're just trying to figure out a way to bill me for additional people's time. And you guys are all in cahoots on this, as opposed to, I remember we had a, we had a legal matter in that same business and the attorney we hired said, so what does success look like? And I said, well, we're going to win the case. And he goes, okay, so recognize that you can win the case and not collect. So is success for you winning the case, whether or not you collect, or is success winning the case and collecting? I said, oh, the latter. He said, okay. Because if we just want to win the case, I would take this approach. But if collecting is really important to you also, then here's what we have to do first to make sure this is worth pursuing. And it was like, hands down, that was the firm. Like, okay, I'm using them. Yeah. Radical, intellectual, transparent, upfront transparency. Yeah. Truly. But, but it was interesting because no one else had asked that question. No one else asked a question that said, what does success look like? And it's something that's part of what we teach in Same Side Selling, which is asking your client, so what does success look like? Because when I ask executives, what percentage of your vendors ask a question like, so what are we going to measure together six months down the road to know that we were successful? I said, well, what percentage of your vendors ask that question? And the answer is less than 1%, and most of them say zero. So if all you did was just knew how to ask that question, then you're head and shoulders about the competition. You know, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, says mastery is 10,000 hours of practice. What I tell people is, look, if all you do is you have a structured process for an hour a week to develop these skills, you don't need 10,000 hours. If you did 50 hours a year, an hour a week, You'll outperform every other law firm out there, yeah. and they won't know what happened to them. There's a there's a firm that that I helped in carving out a niche and and how they approach these intakes, and they were doing really well. And and so a friend of mine who was a partner at a regional law firm brought me in and said, you know, our our, our firm just isn't good at this. And I said, okay, I'm meeting with the managing partner. The managing partner says. Yeah, I just don't think this would work for us. I said, well, are there any areas of your practice where there's another firm that just absolutely eats your lunch and you guys have no chance? I said, no, we're, well, there is this one firm and like we can never compete against them and they're in these two niches and it's just like every time we go up against them, we lose. And I said, okay, well, is it possible that they're using this approach that I'm talking about? No, it's definitely not it. And of course they were talking about the other firm that I that I'd helped, but I couldn't tell them because of confidentiality. And I'm just laughing. And so the the partner who I knew after the meeting, he goes, I'm pretty sure you had worked with that other firm. I said, you know what? <laughs> I, I can't tell you, but what I can tell you is that I'm not in the convincing business. So if your managing partner is convinced that that isn't it, I'm not going to sit here and try and push a rope and try and convince them that they should. It's like, he's not going to get it. So it's okay. Like, like other firms will figure it out. And it's just kind of funny because actually the other firm, the two niche areas that they're in, in our region, every other firm has gotten rid of that pra those practice areas because these guys dominated it to such a great extent that no one else could compete. So they all just started referring that business to that other firm and they have no idea how it happened. And it's just, I just sit there and laugh because I'm like, okay, it, it gets back to what you were saying earlier. 
people think it's somewhat accidental, but having that intentionality, all of a sudden you drive better results. And if you can take your associates and teach them this at an early stage of their career, now all of a sudden it becomes something that they develop mastery over. And people say, why are they so good? Well, it must be because they're left-handed. No, it's because they know the questions to ask. They know how to position things to help their clients make decisions faster. Excellent insights. The one last thing that I probably want to share here is 13, 15 years ago, I was a managing principal in a consulting group. We consulted small, small service businesses, helped them increase revenue. I found that your frontline people, service providers, were much more likely to be trained in sales if they were plumbers than lawyers. As in, plumbers had sales training more often than not. Lawyers did not have sales training more often than not. Plumbing business owners made more money than law firm owners did. Go figure. Average order value in the plumbing business. This is again 2009, 2010, give or take. Yeah. $350. Average case value in law firm, roughly 10 to 15 times greater. Yeah. Yet plumbing business owners made more money and their best plumbers. Not the guys who could fix the toilet or the faucet best, but their best plumbers who were best at selling, take this, they made more money than lawyers. Yeah. Fixing Absolutely. toilets and faucets. A Absolutely. And it's interesting because part of it is figuring out, like, I'll talk to lawyers and I'll say, well, why don't you offer this service on a fixed fee basis? Well, we couldn't possibly because, see, see, yeah. that could be five to ten hours. and so. You know, if I charged for five hours, I, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't possibly charge for 10 hours. I'm like, yeah, you could. Yeah, just set the price. Yeah. If you said to somebody, look, I can handle this matter for you and it's $3,000. And only if one of these three conditions happens, would it be more than that? But if, if one of those three conditions doesn't happen, it's $3,000. What you'll realize is how to do things more efficiently because your client at no point in time is thinking to themselves, you know what I'd really like is I'd like four and three eighths hours of an attorney. What they're saying is, I want to know what it's going to cost to resolve yeah. this matter. Yeah. So this right here, what you just said, that makes such a point for getting an advisor and getting trained in whatever it is that moves the needle in the right direction. I find it. I've had, I've been a business operator, a business owner operator for 23 years now. I've had numerous, numerous advisors throughout these almost 25 years. I found that the vast majority of advisors that I had were absolutely free. Vast majority of training that I picked up along the way was absolutely free because the, as long as I did the thing that I got trained on, as long as that I implemented something that, was, that I was advised on, that more than paid for itself many times, 10 times over, 20 times over, 100 times over. If people want to learn from you, number one, 
get the book, Same Size Selling. Where can they find you online to follow you and learn more of these great insights? You know what? So samesideselling.com is where you'll find me and most of the resources. Um, you'll, you'll learn about our Same Side Selling Academy. And, um, and it's interesting because once or twice a year, we do these cohorts. And so we'll take people from the same industry. So we've done it across industries. And if there were enough people who said, okay, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a law firm and I want to do this, would max it out at 10 groups and say, all right, we'll take 10 people on this journey over a period of time on how to implement these concepts for, for their firm. It's, you know, it's interesting because years ago, the only way that people would access me is bring me in to work with their teams, which is a significant investment for a small firm. Now, last four years, we've had our Same Side Selling Academy which is rated one of the top five sales development platforms globally. And so for a firm to put an associate in there, it costs about $1,000 per year per person. So it's like, it's a nominal investment. You consider, okay, what are you paying the associate? What are you paying the partners? What's your average engagement? And you know, if you put four people in it and one of the four people was marginally more successful. It pays for itself many times over. So it's interesting because we have multi-billion dollar multinational companies who are in the academy. And then we have solopreneurs and professionals and people who sell financial services or legal services or accounting services in there as well. And it's always fascinating because the same problem that the oh, company who's sure. selling half a billion dollar deals it's the exact same problem as the person trying to sell a one-off smaller engagement. It's the same thing. It's just on a different scale. hundred percent. And one more thing. You mentioned conferences earlier in this conversation, and I've been to so many conferences for attorneys. And I find that a lot more lawyers will go to conferences where they learn about law. than they learn about how to actually make more money which arguably is one of the main reasons why you would want to start a law firm. And something like roughly 67% of all attorneys are self-employed to varying degrees, whether they own their firm outright or they're in a partnership or they're treated as a partner within a law firm and they have some sort of profit share within that small law firm. But the number of attendees at conferences where they actually learn how to do business better is about yay much. Yeah. And when it comes to practicing law better, it's about yay much. Everybody it's funny, goes there. It's funny you say that, Sasha. So when I first started this business about almost 15 years ago now, so I'd exited my prior businesses and thought about what I wanted to do and really just came down to helping other people grow their businesses the way I had. My thought was, man, law firms and accounting firms, they need this more than anybody. Most of my business is going to be law firms and accounting firms. Each Each year... I work with a small, very small number of professional services firms in law. And, you know, every other industry, it makes up, you know, 99% of my business. So it's like, you know, there'll be one or two either small practices or individual law firms. They say, okay, we're going to do this. And like you fast forward and it's like they went from, you know, a million dollar firm to a $10 million firm in three years. And everyone looks and says, what are they doing differently? Well, they, they have a defined process for how they bring in business. Yeah. And the other ones, they say, oh, well, there's really not much we can do. There's plenty you can do. It's just, do you have an intentional process? And it's the same way you wouldn't wing it going into a case or going into a trial. 
You need to have a defined process, practice, and then execute. It's the same thing. So it's something that the firms that get it, man, it makes a huge difference for them. But I've just always said that, you know, much like a lawyer can't convince a client who would make bad decisions to make better decisions, you know, you and I can't necessarily convince people to do things that are in their own best interest, even if you know it would help them. But it's it's always magic to me when I meet someone who is in a professional services firm. One of one of my recent podcast episodes was a firm where when I first started working with them, they they said, "Oh well, can, can we pay over time because we're not even paying ourselves right now?" And the last time I went to work with them, the CEO said, "Hey, can can we send our jet for you?" And it's like, how many years? How many years did that? Take? It was six oh, years. Was so six six years from when we met, and they they like you know. As as he said, when I was down there, it was about a year ago now, when I was down there, he said, we're, we're sitting at dinner with his team and it, we're at a very high-end steakhouse and, you know, was, there's 15 people on his team there. They're ordering amazing bottles of wine and, you know, it was whatever, thousands and thousands of dollars for dinner. And he leans over to me and he goes, you know, before we started working with you, I, you, I, I couldn't have afforded to take you and me to dinner here. And I said, I understand. He goes, and now we're doing this. He said, and tomorrow I'm taking my dad and we're flying to this place and we're playing golf for the weekend on my jet. And I said, that warms my heart. And that's the thing where it's like, you know, that when you see it change people's lives, that's when all this is worthwhile. Yeah. Let me make the very last point on this. It's, I bet there are a lot more people who listen to this podcast, watch, read my content, your content who are not taking action versus those who do. And if you do not take action, but you already know what needs to be done, where you need to go to get trained, to get an advisor, you do it at your own peril. It is very similar to diabetes patients. Years ago, I read this mind-blowing statistic. 70% of patients with diabetes do not follow doctor's orders. It is a deadly disease. Yeah. It's nothing to F around with. Yet seven out of 10 patients know what to do, know that it's easy to do it, and don't do it. Yeah. Human nature. Yeah. You know what? It's it's it, it's what happens. It's interesting. We have in our same side selling academy, we have over 90% renewal rate. So through four years, over 90, 90% of the people who are in it renew year after year after year and, and, and stay in the academy because results are getting. The less than 10%, it's closer to 4% that don't. If we look, they just don't use it. And we have a community manager who's saying, are you using this? We didn't see you involved in this live, live training session. Did you want to be a part of that? And it's like, those are the people who... You know, to me, I would rather they not be in it. Like yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, we're not a health club where we want you to join and not use it. We want you to use it excessively. Because for me, most of the people who join, it's like, well, this buddy of mine told me to join. Yeah. Well, how'd the conversation come up? Well, because like a couple of years ago, he was driving an older car and now he's got this new car and he's buying all this expensive stuff and they're taking trips. And I said, what are you doing differently? And he said, go here. It's like, okay, so it's, you know, I, I'm selfishly, I want people to be wildly successful because when they are, 
it's good for me also. 100%. 100%. Ian, thank you so much for sharing these amazing insights. Perfect, Sasha. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.